Hi, everyone. Welcome to the first Wonder Women podcast. This is Libby Kelly. I am so excited to have you and welcome to the Wonder Women family for those of you who are new. Learning and growing and wondering with this group has been one of the most impactful parts of my adult life. And I'm really excited to bring this to you in podcast format. I'm going to go ahead and get started with my conversation with Nancy Collier. She dropped some wonderful wisdom during this conversation. Nancy is a psychotherapist, interfaith minister, and spiritual counselor. She is the author of many books, including The Power of Off, which many of our group read before this pandemic. She has a private practice in New York City and also leads groups and workshops on mindfulness and everyday life. For reference, this is mid-May of 2020. I'm finding in times of COVID, a month or two can feel like light years as things seem to change with the wind, though much of what Nancy has to say is really timeless. Following my discussion with her, I'm going to include some takeaways from our talk, as well as from my endless conversations with friends and family and many of you during these challenging times. My only goal is I hope you find something here that is worthwhile. So let's dive right in. Welcome, Nancy. I'm so excited to have you as my first podcast speaker. Thank you so much for being here. So happy to be here. Happy to be first. I'd want to start out and ask you, I know you're, you live in New York City, and I want to hear what has it been like to be there during, during this pandemic? It's really a wild time. It's a wild time to be in New York. It's a little of everything. You know, it has a quietness that is profound. Uh, I've never heard New York this quiet. And you look down the avenue, you know, an avenue that's normally packed with cars and it's empty. And, you know, there's also something, it has a little bit of the quality of post 9-11 where, you know, when you're in the grocery store and you're checking out, um, you're holding the glance of the checkout person just a little bit longer. There's a moment of acknowledging that we're going through something really profound together in this city. Yes. And so, yeah, there's a gratitude for each other. People have that kindness they had after 9-11. Oh, I love, I love to hear that, that aspect of this. Well, we've, the whole country has been thinking about New York City. Gosh. Well, it's also, I will say just to say too, because New York is always the paradox, but, um, there's a lot of tension, you know, when someone sneezes now in a shop, Mm. people look at them like a murderer. You know, th- there's a lot of anxiety. Yes, I cannot, I really cannot even imagine. Cannot imagine. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you for that. Well, I'd like to dive sort of directly into the deep end of this psychological response to this pandemic. And just to give you a quick personal story, um, so my husband and I are both emergency medicine physicians. And for the first like few weeks of the, of this experience, I I was extremely tearful, emotional, um, crying multiple times a day. I got a little better, and after a few weeks, and then it turned into him being. I would just describe him as being very flat, and he has kind of remained flat. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you have seen, where one person, only one person, can grieve in a marriage? Mm-hmm. And have you seen responses similar to those? two different extremes that we've had? I have. I've seen the full gamut. And um, 
I'm guessing, although I don't know your husband, but that after time, um, he'll start to process some of what mm-hmm. is being repressed right now. Um, you know, we have so many different ways of managing terror and horror and helplessness and overwhelm and grief. And um, one of them, of course, is uh, just to go numb. And, you know, what's really happening is the system, as you know, probably, too, is taking in what it can. And it's kind of holding that to process when it can. Right mm-hmm. now, you're both in triage mode. You're, you're doing. And um, his system, it sounds like, has been um, informed to hold that part. And that, that is a kind of a healthy, in a certain way, although maybe not that easy to uh, be in a couple all the time with, but um, it's trying to take care of itself. That's interesting. Yes, I definitely felt that while I, when I was really struggling, he remained um, very steady, which he typically is, and continued to say, let's you know, let's rejoice in all of the the time we're spending with our family. And it, it, he remained very almost almost um, irritatingly happy. <laughs> and and then I, in retrospect, I realized I think that he just I wasn't even giving him the space to have a response. Yeah. That he had to stay that way That's for right. me. That's right. um, mm. And couples tend to do that, you know. We find a kind of homeostasis. One goes down, the other one maintain, goes up mm-hmm. a bit to maintain a balance because there there can't be two parents that are in that grim space. Yes. And there's a kind of knowing of how the family organism needs to function, like a cell. So, you know, it's doing this all the time with our emotional responses. Ugh. And I think it's, you know, what's going on right now is bringing out all sorts of responses from people, people that are not normally anxious or panicking. People that are normally anxious are finding some deep ground of well-being. So there's no right or wrong. Um, If it were me and I were living with someone, again, it's just offering them whatever opportunity, as I'm sure you're doing, to, to be available if something does want to bubble up. Yes. Gosh, that's quite great, great advice. You know, another thing that I, I continued, I, I continue, you mentioned the word paradox um, about New York City, and I continue to hear these weird uh, paradoxical feelings and emotions. I feel them myself. There's there's fear, and then there's also hope, and then there's anxiety, and there's peace, and stress and this odd sense of calm as we all slow down. And I heard uh, another psychiatrist on another podcast describe what he believed was a regulation strategy the brain was using, that there was this positive self-talk. But I I actually tend to disagree um, personally because I, I feel that I, while I have had a lot of anxiety, there's also been this extreme sense of calm and and gratefulness and joy. What are your thoughts on these paradoxes? I think you're naming it exactly, which is in these times where, you know, the structure falls away and uh, what we count on, all these external 
activities and, and so on are not there to count on, um, something does happen in us where we drop down into a deeper well-being. And we find these things that, you know, don't crumble when everything is crumbling, like love, like um, gratitude, you know, for our, our fundamental well-being. Um, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's funny. I mean, we, we are set up in an odd way. Um, great adversity seems to force us, some of us, thankfully, into... Um, a most profound uh, opposing experience of what we can really count on and how we can be well in the midst of the hardest situations. I think human beings are really, we're designed to, to be that way to some degree. And, you know, adversity is this golden opportunity because when things are going well and, you know, uh, easy, we're not inclined to tap into this profound well-being. We're just not, it's not necessary, and we're happy to ride the, the happy wagon as long as it'll ride us. Um, but when, when things get hard, we do um, seem to not only need, but just um, are wired to go and find where are we okay. And there is a place particularly people that have any kind of mindfulness or spiritual practice or anything like that, you know, we've been building the muscle and we build the muscle so that when these times hit, we have it. Such a, such a different experience. And just to remember, I continue to tell myself that, you know, there are no experts right now and that no one has, we've not lived through something like this. Yes. To nine 11 and, and, but it's it's so helpful to to hear um, to hear your thoughts. Um, you know, it's also funny because we have this mind, you know, this mind that is wired for anxiety and wired to go to what if, what if, what if, and catastrophizing and so on. And this is this incredible opportunity again to stay in the present moment because. Anything else that we come up with is just made up. It's just a narrative of, as you say, we've never done this. Mm-hmm. So this is yes. all unknown territory. And so we are being really required to keep coming back to being okay in uncertainty. And this is an incredible life skill. We pretend that there isn't uncertainty on most days and we have enough things, you know, Thursday, I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do that, blah, 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 I'm going on vacation. But really, you know, it just takes one thing and we realize how fragile our certainty really is. Well, now we're all in that boat together. And, yes. and the work is here, 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 back again, back again to this moment. We don't know. We can take care of this moment. Are we okay right here? Are we doing anything to, you know, help others? What are we doing with this moment? But what an exercise in just being present. I, I love your discussion of of this time being an opportunity. And you have said this was one of one of your webinars that, you know, this is the time to be deeply patient with yourself and compassionate mm-hmm. for yourself and for your partner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, you said, do not be nitpicky. This is not the time. 
Right, right. And that just resonated so much with me. We're all doing our best. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, we're living in close quarters and some people are living on top of each other with no break and children and homeschooling and being our children's, you know, best friends and teachers and babysitters and activity coaches. And this is, as you just said, it is so not a time to be competitive and to throw this word. This is a time to throw the word should out the window, mm. right? And to be supremely uh, compassionate with first and foremost ourselves, that we're doing the best we can. And if we have a moment that is not, you know, spectacular with our partner, we have a moment with our child that's not incredibly present or patient, it has to it has to be let go of, right? We are really, as you said before, in a time that we've never faced. And our work is to just try moment to moment to come with kindness, moment to moment to assume the best and allow the people that we are in close quarters with the benefit of the doubt and the same mm -hmm. sense of compassion that they're doing the best that they can. And, you know, in the beginning of this, I was seeing all these clients who were, you know, well, I should be, you know, studying with this spiritual teacher and I should be taking the museum tour and I should be, you know, taking advantage of all the free concerts and, and this and that. <sighs> and I thought, my God, is there no place that the inner critic, you know, is not some better way that you should be doing a darn pandemic? No. <laughs> Right. Yes, the should is just, oh, it's going to just going to be the death of us all. The should, you know, you're speaking of that, your discussion of, you know, gratitude. And would you go into that a little bit? Just the hidden should. Well, you know, what I, I mean, I always, when I'm working with anyone and in my own life, I'm always shifting from should to want. Okay. Want is the word that we need to lead our life, right? We live so much from the time we're born, we're conditioned. You should do this. You should do this. You, this will make a good life. This will be a good person. Da, 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 da. And all of that, what it does is it untethers us at a very deep level from what's authentic. What do you want? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, if we, you know, if we do everything we should do at the end of our life, we'll be happy with that life. But none of that really comes from us. So when I ask people, how do you want to do this pandemic? You know, what, what feeds you? What really feeds you? What, what nourishes you? Um, very often it has nothing to do with what the brain will tell you we should be doing. And even getting people to sort of ask that question, what really nourishes me? What do I want? What, what feels good to me? These are questions that's so strange that we, we don't get conditioned to ask ourselves. And so a lot of, you know, my work with people is, is reorienting them back to, um, what do I actually want? It's not to say that we don't have to do our taxes and we don't have to, you know, do all sorts of things that we should do so that we don't whatever. Um, but when we do those shoulds, we're doing them with an awareness that, you know, we have to do this, but this is not, this is not something we want to do. Right. So we don't, we don't pretend that that's coming from want, but when we have choices, we really need to delineate that 
um, and get our life back to what actually takes care of me. It's very different than should. Yes, yes. I have had so many shoulds in my own mind. I've, I've, I, this is the time for me to scrapbook and I want to read <laughs> Anne Frank out loud as, <laughs> with a list of other, you know, the classics that I'm going to read to all my family out loud. I mean, just these things that, of course, then they don't happen. And then yeah. I've heard people say, well, if you don't dur- do it during this pandemic, it's a, if it's a project, well, then you're never going right, to do it. Right. Well, and I thought, oh, God, I mean, what <laughs> in the world? And, and that sense, right? It's now or never. We're never going to have this, right. you know, I mean, I think that there's a, there's sort of an in-between there, right? Would be in the sense of, um, you know, how many times people will say to me, uh, God, I just wish I could press the pause button and just get off the hamster wheel or, you know, just have a moment to myself. There is something to be said for recognizing that this is that a little bit. Yes, it is. Yes. And a lot of people, and I will say myself included, are experiencing this incredible sense of relief. You know, I don't have to fill every weekend with fabulous activities. I don't have to go away for the weekend, right? Yes. Oh my God, Memorial Day is coming. I don't have to have a fabulous plan. Oh, thank God. Goodness, right? And so to be off the like, have to have a great life. Your kids have to be in four thousand activities, and yes. when we when we give ourselves the space, well, we've been given it. It's not you know to say we don't have to do anything actually because you kind of can't do anything. I mean, to find a new Netflix series or a new recipe is like a you know it's like a weekend joy right now, right? But, there, there is, so there's this middle ground that's also, um, and I've said this before, but who do I want to be through this pandemic? I think that that is a profoundly important question that I don't want to use the word we should be asking, but it would be an incredible opportunity to ask, what's my best version? What's somebody that um, I will be proud of, that I will be happy with? Can I maintain a sense of well-being for my kids? Can I not go to terror in front of them? Can I, who do I want to be? Whatever that is. Um, I think as spiritual grown-ups, we do want to ask that question so that so that this time not about a big should festival. It's really about um, being intentional. Yes. Right. Let's be intentional though. Let's not just, if we can help it. And of course, if we can't, that's fine too. But if we can help not just muddling through this and sort of shouting and, and just living, you know, sort of impulsively and reactively, let's be intentional about how we walk through this absolute profound moment in history. Mm. I love that. You had um, said something that on a webinar that it, that it really resonated. It made me a little nervous because I had been having a bit of a grief response, mm. although I'm better, mm-hmm. but you had said that, but I appreciated what you said. You said that how we respond now 
is going to dictate how our kids respond to adversity in the future. Absolutely. And gosh, I feel that. I, how how do you think we can help our kids take kind of resilience and, and grit with them oh, from this? Such a good question. Um, I really do think that we are planting the seeds right here for you know, how they will live their lives, given the uncertainty and uh, adversity that they are going to face. Um, well, a few things, you know, what we want to be careful about is we live in a culture where you know, it's very either or, right? Either you march through this with grit or, you know, you're on the bathroom floor screaming mm-hmm. and crying. And mm. what what healthy kids um, experience is that there's room for whatever feeling arises and that we can survive and be strong in the face of every feeling. So it's not so much about pretending that there isn't grief. You know, you're walking into, you know, an unbelievable, un unfathomable situation on a daily basis. If you pretended that there was no grief, you would be setting them up for a life of denial, a life of only grit and strength is welcome. So allowing them to see that, you know, mom can be really sad to see what she's seeing and also not afraid of that. And also know that that will come and that's going to pass, right? So Mm. we're creating a container where we have a deeper sense of this will pass. We will get through this. We will get through this changed. We will get through this with a new understanding. Um, But when those strong feelings or whatever it is arise, they are welcome. That is the essence of a healthy human being, essentially, that whatever is arising Uh, is allowed a seat at the table. And if we know that, and we know that we can compassionately sit with whatever is coming, we're prepared for life. I do think it is healthy for them to see us have a a response that is, you know, somewhat normal. Absolutely. This is actually came straight from my grandmother that the uh, greatest generation never wanted to have their children see them fight. Mm, and then wow. the the boomers came along and and so they never fought in front of their children. Right, right. And then the boomers came along and they thought I'm arguing with my husband what or my wife what what is this? We must we aren't meant to be married. Right. My parents didn't argue and then my grandmother said we <laughs> threw things after you went to bed. Right, right. exactly. <laughs> and you know, I think that my I'm generation X. I'm 44 years old and you know, I think that I'm, I hope that we are showing our, our children emotion, our, our, our arguments that are maybe, I'm, I, I shouldn't say throwing things out was a little right. bit much. She didn't right. throw anything, but, um, and I'd say that, you know, there, I know that there are so many the third of, I think households, there's physical or emotional violence in in this country. So I don't mean to even make a joke about it, but, um, you know, I, I don't want to be the, the, oh, everything is happy, happy, everything's fine, and then have them not be able to, you know, handle their own feelings when they feel that, you know, negative thing. And those are natural feelings, right? Nobody doesn't have the full range. 
it's just, you know, that's called being a human being. So this idea that if you have these feelings of fear or uncertainty, that there's something wrong, that's a recipe for disaster, right? For being cut off from our deeper experience. At the same time, I would say that as parents, it really is our responsibility to keep because the really the biggest obstacle that we have as humans, I, I think, and my next book, Can't Stop Thinking, is about our relationship with our thoughts. But is this mind that really wants to come in and kidnap our experience. It just is constantly wanting to. And for many people, it's telling a real nightmare of a story. It's creating a narrative out of every moment that is made up is made up to some degree, right? It, it's based on some sort of selective memories and a story of self and all sorts of things. But right now we have this incredible opportunity to show our children, as we were talking about before, um, stay here, stay in this moment. Don't create a narrative about what's going to happen. And, and as parents, we are the ones empowering them to stay here and say, what can we do in this moment, right? If we're a family that maybe our income is is threatened. So what are some plans we can put into place right now that could help us in the future? Or are we doing anything right now? Are we bringing food to our local food bank? What are we doing? Empowering this moment, because it's really the only moment, and, and it's the only moment we can actually be well, within. Mm -hmm. So part of our work as parents right now is to keep children from being kidnapped by this mind that is, oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then of course, filling that in with some people, luckily for them, fill it in with, you know, rainbows and unicorns. It's going to be fabulous. Some people fill it in with, you know, we're going to a dystopian hell, but all that is about the person. The thing is, we don't know. So come back to now. I love your thoughts on how how we can come back to now. And I know that this, I realized that this could be a four-hour discussion, <laughs> yes. but just some, yeah. could you give us some some basics yep. in, of thoughts on coming to now? So this is really the work of a lifetime. You know, this is, as you say, its own uh, workshop but it's mm -hmm. about how do we stay in the present moment? There's, you know, everyone talks about mindfulness and you can't, you know, open a newspaper or anything these days without mindfulness in this, mindfulness in brushing your teeth, mindfulness in gardening, my, you know, whatever it might be. But what does that really mean to stay in the present moment? Um, and, and particularly when things are hard, right? We're not at the beach. It's not that easy. So we, we love the present moment when, you know, things are going our, our way. But the first thing is to really look at, well, what gets us out of the present moment when that's our natural resting state is we're just here, right? I'm talking to you, we're here. But what gets us out of the present moment, for one thing, is distraction, right? This incredible life that we've created of technological distraction, always somewhere else, always doing something, you know, we're never actually where we are. 
we're busy, we're busy, we're learning, we're being productive. It's fabulous. You know, we're listening to another podcast, we're doing something that we can brag about. But what we're missing again and again is what's happening right here, not on our screen. You know, we're, we're not in the conversation we're in. We're not in the body that we're in. And, you know, another piece that gets so much in the way of, of our being present, as I mentioned before, is our thoughts. Our thoughts are in the future. They're in the past. They're not allowing us to actually be where we are. They've taken us off onto some holiday. Sometimes we wake up at the end of the day and we realize we haven't been in one single moment, right? We're, we're stuck in this little head in our ideas and our thoughts. So what I'm, what I'm always encouraging my clients and when I give workshops is that, first of all, we start to develop an awareness that even asks the question, where am I? Mm -hmm. Because until that is part of our kind of daily, hourly, minute by minute um, habit, then we don't know. We don't even recognize that we're lost. So maybe you set up something where, I don't know, every doorknob you see. Or for me, you know, when I walk between the bedrooms, between my two children, I ask myself, you know, am I here? Am I here? Or if I get to a red light, I ask myself, where are you? And that for me has just become a part of my ritual. Oh my God, I'm, I'm planning a vacation for March or, oh my God, I'm, I'm figuring out the schedule for next week for the kids or whatever it might be, or I'm thinking about that patient or whatever. Um, so, but we start to incorporate uh, a mindfulness practice, very, very simple into where am I? Or am I, why am I teching? You know, every time I pick up my device, I ask myself, why am I teching? What would I have to feel if I didn't use, check my email now or check something about, you know, an Amazon product? What am I avoiding? We start to build these questions into our day so that my presence becomes my main intention of the day. I don't care what's going on in my life so much as I'm showing up for it, right? So yes. getting awareness of where am I? Where am I in my life? Or am I going to wake up on my deathbed and say, what just happened, right? I don't, <laughs> I don't want that, yes. right? The other thing, one other thing too, and, and then we can talk more about it, but again and again and again, I am inviting people into their bodies. You know, we live, Libby, as you know, we live, again, these floating heads, Attached to nothing, you know, nothing, right? And then all of a sudden we'll have like a mosquito bite. And then, oh, look at this, there's an arm. Down here. Wow, <laughs> crazy. But again and again, embodying people, so much of our wisdom and our actual experience lives down in the body. And then we create a story about it, a narrative, and what it says about us is the, the primary ingredient of the narrative and so on. But we have to get below the neck to be present. We can't be present if we're not embodied. So even just getting people to start to feel their body through the day, remember to ask what's happening in my senses. Th these are profound sort of um, portals into the present moment. Oh, thank you for all of that. I, I have really been asking myself, where am I? And it has... 
I I think I have one of those brains that, you know, I love in your your book, The Power of All, if you had said, you know, anyone who thinks that their brain isn't meant for meditation, <laughs> that you can't do it, you should be doing it. <laughs> so that's me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also, I love your discussion in the book about how there are people that say things like, oh, I'm thinking about meditating. I'm thinking yeah. about getting started. Yeah. I mean, I've said that quite a few times. Yeah. Yeah. Um you know, one thing that uh, along these lines that I wanted to share from mm -hmm. your book, there there were so many things, and I, I actually chose two. This is one of the things that um, this was from your, this was from the chapter, Is Your Smartphone Stealing Your Life? And you said, um, this is to quote you, while we know intellectually that our life our lives are happening and time is passing. We are not exactly sure that we are the ones who are living it, at least not directly. Yes. Internal absence is the disease of the, of the digital age. Mm -hmm. It's as if the rise in technology's presence has caused our own presence in life to go missing. And I am a future person. I am mm -hmm. constantly thinking and planning and, you know, I live, I live in the future. And this was really the first time I ever, I've read anything and I'm a self-help book <laughs> junkie. Um, and this is really the first time anyone ever um, put to words what I have been feeling for a long time. And I, I'm embarrassed to admit to myself that I do feel that I I'm not, sometimes I'm just not there because I'm thinking about the babysitter, the work schedule, the the kid, whatever, fill in the blank. Yeah. And so... You are like the human race just now. Mm. <laughs> this is really the way it is now, isn't it? And can I ask a question? What What is, do you see as sort of the consequence of that? Oh, gosh, there's so many. I mean, I... Okay, so I my husband has even told me that sometimes he doesn't think I'm present. I mean, that is just wow, really? I you don't know. You're not there are times when you aren't present. Um, you know, I there are times where I step back and I look around and I think, gosh, I've got this beautiful life and I've got these children and I've got resources. We're so lucky. And I'm amped up and thinking about you know, the, my, you know, I just glanced at my phone and I've, I'm into next week. I'm into the mm. summer. I'm into June. I'm thinking about August. I could die before then, not to be so dramatic, but sure. what the heck am I doing? And so it, there, there are consequences. My, you know, you can tell, I mean, my children can tell when I'm not present. I can tell when my friends aren't present. I can tell when my husband isn't present. So yep. yes, there are dramatic consequences. And it's a sense of loss, right? Because Yes, yes, it is loss. That's exactly what it is. Yes. And, you know, part of it in some sense is, I mean, it's a complicated topic, but time, from time immemorial, we have been running from our own presence. We, we really are terrified at some level of stopping. You know, we're really good at going, but we don't really know or trust that if we stop, if we stop thinking, 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 and planning and doing, that there'll be anything there. You know, we see hmm. being, 
or I say being, but what I said before was stopping as basically death as a void, as there won't be anything. If you take away the mind's doing and busyness, what's left, right? Just, just emptiness. And what we don't have until we do <laughs> is a sense of the presence of being, the presence yeah. of the gaps between the thoughts, a presence when the doing stops that there is a something. Mm. And so we spend our lives, you know, running, running, running from getting still because that's what we're really terrified of. You know, and, and then we have this great sense of melancholy of having sort of outrun our life, right? Yes. And for some people, you know, it's it's easier if they're in a relationship with someone, they can kind of drop down and be with that other person. But when you ask people to really drop down and be with just themselves, right, the, the sort of silence underneath all of the thoughts, they have no idea. We, we, we just, we're just not taught how to do that. Um, so what, what technology has allowed is this very addictive part of us that is always looking for a way to get out of the present moment, to uh, distract ourselves from the stillness or just being. Um, it's offered the ultimate, the ultimate ally for uh, that addictive side of ourselves and um, and we're rewarded for it. You know, now you're doing something good, but really at the bottom of it, it's a bit like any other addiction. You know, the drug addict takes drugs because he needs to bear a reality with a way out of reality. So same for the, you know, the drink, the drink is a way out of this present moment. Now, now it's technology only it's, uh, it's a pandemic, you know, it is an acceptable addiction now. And really, but the ultimate addiction, I still see the ultimate addiction beyond even technology is our addiction to thinking. Yes. And, you know, planning is just a form of thinking. We are, we really are, um, we don't know how to stop thinking and we don't trust that we can exist if we stop thinking. So you start to pay attention to the gaps between maybe you get a gap every nine, 10 hours, you get a slight gap and you see, wow, I can exist in between a thought. And then you get panicked. Where'd I go? Where was I? Where was I? Right. Cause I only know myself by thinking, but in that moment, Something was aware of a non-thought moment. Oh, and then something starts to profound, starts to happen where we're more aligned with that awareness than we are with the thinker, if that makes yes. sense. It do absolutely does. Yeah. But, you know, one of the, like we were talking about with the awareness of am I here? Where am I? Um, we also start to build an awareness that becomes habitual of what's happening in my mind, right? Because, you know, I'm so busy in my thoughts. I'm so busy all the time not being present because I'm lost in some whole narrative going on in my mind. The conversation I had last night with my husband that annoyed me, I'm replaying it. I should have said whatever it is. Um, 
but when I start to build that part of myself that is every once in a while checking in, what's happening in my mind? Who, who are these thoughts talking to? That creation of a witness yes. is what you've described. Yeah. Yes. And that changes your life. Then I don't have to bump around in that tsunami all the time. I can pull the lens back and say, wow, what's here within which these thoughts are happening? Hmm. And then we start to get freedom. Because then we're not just at like a dog chasing a bone. Whatever thought appears, we have to think it. We don't. So helpful. Thank you for all of this. I had an uncle who died a couple of years ago who was just larger than life, this OBGYN in town, a wonderful Mm -hmm. human. Um, And um, he had this expression whenever he was leaving, instead of saying, bye, he called me Beaner. But he would say, instead of saying, bye, Beaner, he would say, if it's ugly, and then I had to respond, it can't be all bad. <laughs> and um, and, and in that, I don't even know where that started. But um, he, um, you know, and I, that has been going through my mind. And I'm sort of transitioning us a little bit back to this issue at, at the present moment of this pandemic. And, you know, I think there are so many ugly things, death, disease, uncertainty, financial ruin, isolation, powerlessness, gosh, but there are so many beautiful things. And, you know, finding this stillness, I bring this up because I think of what you're describing and finding this stillness, this presence, people are, are cooking, they're right building things. They're sleeping a lot with no alarm clock in the morning. Yeah. It's amazing. There are these, it's amazing. There's these chunks of days of, you know, that are unscheduled. I mean, it is so beautiful. And when I, I asked my women's group before I spoke with you, I said, you know, any questions that do you have for Nancy? And the common theme of their questions was, you know, how do we take these silver linings with us? Mm. How do we take this into life post-COVID? Yes, boy, isn't that the question? Well, so I love what you brought up, though, because, and I and I only rankle at one thing you said, which is the word but, because life is the and, death, mm. despair, hopelessness, financial challenges, and beauty, presence, ah. stillness, silence, joy, friendship, renewed honesty, grudges being healed, um, appreciation, savoring, remembering old parts of ourselves. That is the definition of life. It's the and, not the but of it. And so yes. if we imagine ever, you know, that it's one side of that coin, we're deluding ourselves. So what we have here just is sort of in technicolor, the and, right? Ah. And, and that is what we're recognizing. And so um, I think what, what, what really strikes me as the most important thing in taking it forward is the word I come back to always, which is awareness. So when we start to realize um, how profoundly we are nourished by the ease and the, and the slower pace and the, and the opportunity to do things that we never have time, 
the appreciation, the stopping to savor what it feels like to get off the hamster wheel. We have to savor that, take that into like an emotional bank so that we have that. Mm. That's what informs going forward, informs us to not forget, right? So if we just skim through this, and do this because we can, but we're not really honoring, acknowledging it and recognizing it, then we're just as unprepared when we go back out there to, to, to not get back on the treadmill. So um, we have to go forward. You know, so, so much of what people come to see me for is guidance in life. And often I find myself handing back the responsibility or the ownership to some degree of people's lives to them in the sense of if this matters to you, then we have to stay awake and in your moment to moment daily life, because life is just a series of moments strung together. There's no magic moment. It starts happening or not happening. It's your responsibility to stay awake to how am I using it? I can't do that for you. I can't give you a list that'll tell you how do you take post, post-COVID post you know, uh, presence. But we've learned something so big here, which is what it feels like to get to be a little bit more present, to not have to be on the wheel all the time. And if we don't take that forward, well, it's a loss. It's a great loss for ourselves, but it's also... It's our individual. I'm handing you adulthood. Here, go for it. Ah, yes. <laughs> Thank you for that. And to remember too, Libby, you know, that the important thing I want to repeat there, which is it's not like one day, you know, it's going to matter. This is the one that matters. You know, this is the moment that matters. There's a great Zen koan, you know, um, before enlightenment, uh, chopping wood, carrying water, after enlightenment, chopping wood, carrying water. Same activities. How are you going to show up in those activities? Are you going to be in them? Because your life is just today when you're chopping that wood and you're carrying that water, but your presence in it takes it from being something that you completely missed and a non-event to the most profound awe to be in existence doing that. It's just one thing, which is your presence and appreciation for that. Gosh, that I feel relieved to hear this. I because I think the idea of being present is doable. It's it's not doable to take endless chunks of days and time with us, but presence is something that we can take and in, back into a busier life. You know, I I think about another thing that I've heard you write about and and discuss this idea that knowing is knowing is half the battle in some things right. in life right. the gi joe but fallacy the, yes but being present is not knowing is not half the battle and just because you know your libby kelly brain on a treadmill or a mouse wheel distracted and in the future just because I know that doesn't make me doesn't make me present, but by practicing and developing habits and that's it. That's it. That's it. That's where the action is. We can know all we want that we should go forward from COVID and we should have all these lessons learned and so on. 
But again, it's turning what is a very simple practice into something more complicated that the mind can enjoy. You know, the mind hates simple. It hates simple, hates to include the body. It just wants, let's figure it out. Let's make it super complicated, right? And, you know, we'll meditate more. We're going to, I'm making a schedule that'll have my meditation on it, right? I'm going to plan some workshops. I'm going to Kripalu. I'm going to do a whole bunch of things. I'm going to go out west, work with gurus, right? Before you know it, your life is over. You've never even sat down, right? That's a great, you know, that's fantastic. But, but really, you know, again and again, we have to remember that there is no moment um, to be present in than this moment, than this moment. There's never a future time to practice being present. It is this moment. So, you know, all we have to do, what, what's so, I can't even believe our great good fortune, that the body is not interested in what the mind is up to, to some degree. The body has to live in this present moment. You know that as a physician, it's digesting, it's the nervous system is working, everything. So we have this incredible, easy, easy portal into the present moment, which is to drop down and take a breath, right? That's happening. If we're living, that's happening. So Right there, we have this instant, no concept needed, no plans, no planner, no technology. Just drop into this moment. Stop, unhook from all the situations and all the thinking and drop, stop and drop, right? And we have now. There's no now that is, there's no now, other than this now. There's no life other than this moment. So everything else is concept. Everything else is another ruse on the part of the mind to talk about being present, but not actually practice it. It's not about knowing. It's about practice. And that means unhook and drop. Oh, okay. I'm taking this with me. I'm going to go schedule that on my, in my planner. Schedule the moment to stop and drop. But when you start finding your mind, you know, the mind loves to complicate. It loves to get, you know, mental gymnastics of the highest order. But presence is something that is not about more knowing. It is not something we figure out, much to the mind's great dismay. Is this your your new, your book I, I saw online, it's going to be published in 2020, Can't Stop Thinking. Yes. And this has been the, the, my recent bunch of talks and, and the new book will be out. Actually, I think it's going to be January 2021 because of COVID. But it is talking about presence, presence, but with the sense that um, I talked a lot about how technology and the power of off gets in the way. In inviting the monkey to tea, I talked about making friends with our own mind, you know, and how do we welcome this wild monkey from a place, again, that is not uh, fused with it. So, so much of my work has been about finding a relationship with our mind where we are not um, at its mercy. We can use it as a tool, of course, because it's an incredible tool, and yet we are not fully identified with it. So we start to know ourselves in ways other than just our thinking mind. And for me, that's been a kind of process of liberation from what felt, you know, like a very small 
you know, I'm a doer, I'm a type A, I'm a, but always, I, I didn't want to live inside this sort of um, doing, doing, doing monkey mind uh, life anymore. So a lot of my books are about that. Do you know, what is your Enneagram? I am a, um, is it possible that I'm a nine Nine is the peacemaker, if you remember. Okay, our group has done a lot of Enneagram work. I was just, you were sounding like a three in your doing. I might be a three. So <laughs> do you know from just your birthday? Is that it? No, it's um, it's more of a kind of a what motivates you, personality, oh. what makes yeah. you do the things you do. I'm not really that much of a peacemaker because I long ago gave up the idea um, that I wanted to control anything. And it, it had a lot to do with this separation from mind. You know, the mind is always wanting to control everything. And then something happens along the way where we realize that that's all an illusion and to sort of surrender and turn it yes. over. And, um, that's been a, that's a lot in the new book about when we stop having our mind be the leader of everything in our life and we sort of we we take the step back and realize something much larger than just our mind is happening here a kind of grace mm-hmm. and so we're playing a part in that but the illusion that our mind is in charge of everything and controlling everything even making peace would be a form of control um I found giving that up to be one of the, the greatest liberations of life. Oh, okay. One day, maybe I'll be there. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've got 10 years on you, so it's a good decade. Good. Okay. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> one of the other, this is, I'm going to take us back to the power of off and I'll tell you the other thing that has really resonated with me. This is from the chapter, Welcome to the Family Smartphone. There's, of course, a long, lengthy discussion of technology and parenting. And you discuss how, you know, quote, children are losing their parents to technology just as parents are losing their children to it. We're all disappearing down the same rabbit hole. You go on to say, quote, in terms of a parent, um, what they are telling their child when the parent is on their device, quote, I am more interested in what's happening on this screen than I am in you. Second, we are saying that texting or playing games and essentially distracting ourselves is a valuable way to spend our short time on this planet. Finally, when we choose our devices over our children, which is how a young mind understands a parent who is always on technology, we are saying, quote, you, my child, are not important not worthy of my attention. And that last line, you, my child, are not important, not worthy of my attention. I have it in a loop mm-hmm. on my, in my brain, which I'm glad I do. And I have a, you know, five kids and kid three doesn't need much at all. She's a typical Oreo, cream in the Oreo, easy, but she wants me to watch her a lot. And I'm, I'm not necessarily playing angry birds or anything, but I'm looking at the recipe. I'm looking at the babysitter text. I'm looking at the fill in the blank. And, and I, and I think to myself, wow, she's, she is, her little mind is thinking you, my child are not important, not worthy of my attention. So thank you for that. Uh, I'm sorry too. (laughs) Yes, I'm actually angry at you about that. (laughs) A form of torture. You know, but just to to remember that these little people, 
And I, you know, our partners as well, you know, my husband and I had a great conversation about this, this very passage. And he said, I sometimes feel that when we're getting in bed at night and, you know, this is our only moment to have a discussion and you're jump on your phone because of the, you know, ABC things that you tell me you have to do. You know, the translation is those things are more important. And I think a lot of people are living with that sense of loneliness, you know, that sense of, and, and what we do so often in response is we get on our device. Yes, we do. And yes, we do. We, because, oh, this is my opportunity when he does the same thing to me, which he does. (laughs) It it. it is there sort of, I jump, (laughs) maybe this is my opportunity. I jump on my device and now two different worlds are happening. But again, you know, we're sort of in that, that same place, which is the human being is so wired to avoid or to do what's easiest or to do, you know, we get a little pleasure from checking or, you know, just mindlessly being on our device. You know, there's a sense of relief, right? Relief from presence, relief Mm -hmm. from having to hold our presence, and, and there's some truth to that, you know, that when we, you know, drink the Kool-Aid and we get on, you know, we're just sort of off duty. We're just off duty, right? And scrolling, we don't really care, you know. And being with another human being and available and listening, it takes a certain amount of effort. It just does. And so we are wired. And once we know that about ourselves, and not with judgment, but we really are wired to take the easy route, right? But but we also remind ourselves that nothing good really comes from the easy effort, you know, without effort route, right? That we reap what we sow. And so it's not that you don't recognize as you get in bed, oh God, I'd rather just, you know, Facebook than, than have that conversation or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that feeling, But the grown-up, the more evolved part of ourselves may come in and say, yeah, but if you want to feel more intimate with your partner or you want to feel closer, you want to feel something could happen here that's interesting rather than just sort of numbing out the last half hour of my day, that requires effort. That requires a mindful choice to be in this moment together. And what I'm encouraging couples to do, because I work with a lot of couples, is to be very, very straightforward in terms of when your partner is on the device to not talk about the partner, but talk about how it makes you feel. You know, so I miss the time that we used to talk when we got in bed, or I miss time we spent together without our devices, or I feel lonely. I feel like we don't really, you know, come together and have real conversation anymore that's not interrupted. Um, to always come from this place of, for me, this experience feels kind of empty or whatever it might be, the words, um, because there will be immediate intimacy in the expression of the lack of intimacy, right? So we need to keep that dialogue alive of what's actually happening. What I see and sort of tragically is as people sort of disappear down their own individual rabbit holes, 
the 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 intimacy and the sense that something interesting and new can happen in the relationship starts to fade but also something which is a which is not about the couple but is about an individual experience our sense of guiding our life i guess is the best way that i can put it a sense again of this word intentionality you know we wake up in the morning the first thing we do is we get on our device it's sitting right there i think 80% of people now they do that before they brush their teeth. Um, at night, we tech our way right into, into unconsciousness. But again, we're not bookending. We're not parenthesizing our day with some sense of, what do we want to do with this day? You know, what, what matters to me? Or what kind of human being do I want to show up to the world as today? What am I working on growing in me? What do I want to get better at? What do I like about what I did today some sense of a larger pilot in this life you know again it's this anesthetized way of sort of coasting through it's not a fully lived life that's really profound and I, I really want to take take that with me especially in the evenings and also in the morning I'm one of the 80 percent that jumps on my my phone and I I don't I don't want to book in my day that way I don't no. I think that's really one of the things I talk to everybody about is one gift you can really offer yourself a bit of time, 15 minutes, half an hour in the morning, half an hour in the evening. I like to say an hour, but I, I don't often get it from people where some meaning is made, some meaning, right? What is all this about? It's not just about entertaining ourselves to death, but what happened today? And and that has to matter. And what I've found is that when you start to in, include that kind of practice in your life and intentionality, um, your life feels richer. It feels more meaningful. It feels deeper. Yes. Oh, of course it will and does when those things do happen. Gosh, well, thank you for all of this, Nancy. You know, I continue to feel this during this time where all of the the bright and shiny trips aren't happening and the plans, you know, aren't happening. And it's really crystallizing for me what really matters. And it it felt like what had mattered was diluted by the busyness and the the, the fluff and the to-dos. And, you know, it, it's conversations like this that help me remember what matters. And I'm going to hopefully take this, take this with me into as we all move forward in our lives and out of these stay-at-home orders. Well, you know, just last thing I want to say, too, is and I'm glad, you know, because part of my work um, and maybe one day together we'll, we'll do an Enneagram, but <laughs> is, is to point people back to a deeper experience of what matters, what one that really nourishes us, not... Um, you know, we don't know how many lives we get, but for right now, right, we, we know one. And there's something for me just profoundly painful to see people frittering it away in, in, in a meaningless fashion. And um, going forward from COVID, uh, there's, no, there's no magic bullet. There's no, I got it, I don't get it. It's one moment at a time. And as grownups, we are responsible for how we spend those moments. It starts with this one. There's no magic moment. It starts at 
that to me is just incredibly exciting and empowering. It starts in every moment you fall off the wagon, you disappear into the planning um, space. The next moment you wake up, you celebrate back to this present moment. It's beautiful. Oh, that is beautiful. Wow. Well, Nancy, thank you so much. I, I can't um, thank you enough for, for joining me. And um, I know that my women's group is going to just really enjoy your words. So thank you my so pleasure. much for being here. <laughs> my pleasure. I hope to meet you in person one day. Me too. <laughs> okay. Good. Thanks, Nancy. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening. There are just a few more points and takeaways that I'd like to share with you. The first is this issue of comparative suffering that I have heard and read Brene Brown talk about. I keep hearing this in my life where folks are saying things like, well, I shouldn't be upset now or fearful or anxious because I don't know anyone who has COVID and I haven't lost my job or I'm not working on the front lines or, you know, I can't see my kid graduate from college other than doing it virtually, but that's no big deal. There are folks that are ill and homeless and, you know, et cetera. And, you know, what Brene Brown's point is, is that if we deny ourselves emotions, they, those emotions actually don't go away. And instead, they, they tend to fester and often kind of double down and grow. And what I think is even more interesting in all of this is that if we deny ourselves our own emotions, we ultimately actually have less empathy for ourselves. And that leads to less empathy and compassion for others. And so essentially, we all need to just stop this assessing and ranking our circumstances and instead feel these negative feelings, experience them and complain about them. We're going to grow as we as we do that, we're going to grow through this. And then perhaps the end result of it is that we're going to have more compassion for ourselves as well as more compassion for others. And a world with more compassion all around sounds pretty wonderful. And this leads me to a great expression where there's pain, there's growth. And I, I keep coming back to that. And I think to quote Nancy, she said something along the lines of, you know, the best of humans comes out in times of struggle. And something I heard elsewhere was, think of this time as material that you're going to use in the future. You're gonna, we're going to all look back on this and realize what is it that we learned and, you know, what mattered, what crystallized before our eyes during this time. I, I also lo love that as a way to look at these experiences we're having. A final point I'd like to add is something I have not read anywhere, but I have heard this from various people in my life. And that is there's this anxiety around the reopening itself. And certainly for some people, it is there's this continued anxiety about contracting COVID, of course, especially for our most vulnerable at risk populations. For others, I think there's, it's a, sort of the simple explanation would be there's an anxiety around returning to the busyness and the life that they don't, they're not quite ready to go back to, having enjoyed part of the pause. However, in my opinion, those explanations, I think, are actually too simplistic. I think there's so much complexity here. I know for me, I know that I don't, want these continued shelter in place orders and 
lack of travel and COVID on the brain all the time. But I also know that I don't want to go back to my super busy, overscheduled life. So the question is, I don't really know I don't really know what I want. And I think part of that is because the future is still full of so much uncertainty. I'm finding it hard to be excited about the summer or the fall or trips on the calendar or camps for children when there's so much uncertainty. And, you know, I'm so tired of hearing myself say, I don't know. I think we have all hit this collective weariness on the I don't knows. As a physician, I don't like saying that. And I find myself saying that all the time. So I am really going to try to use this time going forward as what Nancy has advised us is, you know, use this as a time to live in the present, because we really kind of have to be in the present. We can't be doing the planning in the future that many of us tend to do. And finally, I'd like to go back to the common theme of the question you all had for Nancy, which was, how do we take these silver linings that we'd found into life after this pandemic? And certainly reiterate Nancy's hope for us that we learn to be in the present more. And also, I'd like to expand on when she said, you can't just know that you need to be present. Knowing is not half the battle, you actually have to change habits and change behavior. And I think what a great expression for life going forward. I think we can't just know we want to have chunks of free time and less a less scheduled life or whatever it is that you have found during this time that you want to continue to do. I think we actually have to be intentional about it and have habits and take action in order to bring these things forward with us into life after this pandemic. So I challenge you to think about how you're going to actively take these things that you have come to love during this time and how you're going to you're going to take them with you. And you know, I love what she said about, you know, people come to her for guidance and she often tells them, you know, you're the adult and she gives them back the reins to have them find the life that they want. And you know, what a what a beautiful thought is that we are actually the ones in charge. We're the adults. So thank you so much, everybody. And a quick shout out to my brother-in-law, Russ Kelly, for his musical wizardry and sound magic. And everybody else, I really hope to see you soon. Thank you so much and hope you are all staying physically and mentally well. 